you would turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 as we finish uh, this third chapter this Lord's Day in our study of Galatians. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 29. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we've been walking through this letter where uh, Paul is talking to the Galatian believers who had fallen under some false teaching. Uh, they had come under the teaching of those who told them that in order to be fully a part of the family of God, you needed to do works. You needed to uh, go back to the Old Testament law. And if you did the things of the law, then you would be saved. And so Paul is writing to correct that false teaching. And in fact, last Lord's Day, as we looked at Galatians 3, 19-25, we saw Paul there arguing that the law was not sufficient to save, that the law, in fact, was what it was that convinces us that we're sinners in the first place. And that God uses the law to show us our sin and to show us our need for Christ, and that ultimately the gospel is what frees us from the burden of the law, and it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we may obey in the first place, that our obedience cannot lead to salvation, but salvation produces obedience. And so now we're picking up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, where Paul is now talking about, now that we've kind of settled this issue of we need to have faith in Jesus, that's what saves us. Well, what comes with that faith? What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? What does it mean to find our identity in Christ? Well, that's what we're going to look at in verses 26 through 29. So if you're able to, if you would stand together out of reverence for the Word of God as I read the text for us this Lord's Day. Again, this is what the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God's Word for His church. And this is what it says. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. If you would pray with me. Father God, I pray that you might help us to understand what that means. What it truly means to be found in Christ Jesus through faith. What it means to be heirs according to the promise. What it means for us to put on Christ Jesus today. Lord, would you push back those things which might distract us, might worry us, might overcome us with anxiety and fret and other things that can so easily distract us from your word. And would you help us, Lord, to focus on the truth of your gospel today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've mentioned a number of times before that in recent years I've enjoyed studying my gene genealogy. I've enjoyed looking into my family tree. In fact, now more than ever, there are all kinds of tools available if you're, you're interested in knowing uh, your, your family history. Uh, you don't have to go to the, the county courthouse uh, near where your family is from. You can simply get on the internet and look up these records. You can find all types of information, all types of census records going back uh, decades, even centuries now, you can even go and look at cemetery records. In fact, even our own little cemetery here behind the church is online. You can go and look at all the headstones, and you can look up information on who's buried there. And many times you can find uh, information connected to who's related to who's buried there. Now, all this information is available, but perhaps the most modern way to trace your family history is now through DNA research. 
Uh, you've probably all seen these commercials out there. There are several companies that will send you a kit in the mail. Uh, you take essentially what's like a Q-tip, take a little swab from your mouth, put it in a box, send it back to them, and then you will receive all this genetic information about you. All this information about your ancestry, all this information about your genetic code and makeup. If you've seen these commercials, you've seen the testimonies of people who've gone through this process, the things that they have discovered. One commercial in particular stood out to me. There was a young lady on there who received this information and, and just with this, this joy about her said on the commercial, I finally know who I am. Was Paul is writing here to the Galatians that this issue of who we are, that this issue of how it is we find our identity is central to what he is writing. Hey, he's dealing with a group of people who don't need a DNA kit. They, they don't need uh, the internet to research. They know where they've come from. Uh, the Jewish people prided themselves on their Jewish ancestry. They knew that they were a part of the family of God because they were descendants of Abraham. And the issue that has come to surface in the New Testament church, in this new church now, is what do we do with these non-Jewish people who are coming into the family of God? Now, how do we reconcile? How do we identify? How, how do we cooperate with those who, who aren't a part of the family that we're a part of? And so you had some Jewish believers who taught a false doctrine based on this identity crisis. They were looking at themselves as being really the, the, the first class citizens of the kingdom. All the promises belong to them. And so they looked towards these Gentiles as well. that They can come into the family, but, but they're sort of second class citizens. Maybe distant cousins. And in order for them to come in, they need to do this, 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 and this. And Paul writes to say, that is not the case. Because we find our identity foundationally in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We become part of Abraham's family through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring the Jew and the Gentile to faith through the gospel of Jesus. And then we are one in this family together. Because we are found in Christ. So what does that practically mean? Well, that's what we're going to walk through today as we look to this text. Because, friends, I don't think it's through a DNA kit that you find out who you really are. I don't think it's through your genealogical research that you find out who you really are. I think what the Scripture says, for those of us with faith in Christ, that we go to the Word of God to find out who we really are. And this is what it says of us. Point one. In Christ, we have a new family. Paul reminds us here, in Christ, who we really are, we have a new family. Look at verse 26 there. Paul writes, for in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith. Now again, remember, this is crucial because that the Judaizers, these false teachers were saying, no, you're not all equally part of the family here. We're the ones who really are the sons of God. Maybe you can come in if you do this, this, and this. Paul writes through the inspiration of the Spirit. No, we come into the family through Jesus Christ. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Now that's an important statement for us to understand. 
Because we live in a culture and a context where you will hear people say all the time, well, we're all God's children. <laughs> I mean, everybody out there is a child of God. In fact, you often see this kind of in a plea for unity over different issues. Well, well we should all just get along. We should all treat each other uh, well because after all, we're all God's children, aren't we? Well, what does the Scripture say about that? We certainly should treat people well because everyone is an image bearer of God. You go back to creation and you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and you find that everyone who is created is created in God's image. And so we are to care for our fellow man, and not so much because we're all God's children, but because the Scripture says we are all image bearers. And so the atheist who curses the very notion that God exists is created in the image of God. The person who's found faith through our Lord Jesus Christ is created in the image of God. The Scripture says we are all created in God's image. But the Scripture also says that we become children of God. In other words, we're not all God's children. For example, John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. John writes this, But to all who did receive Him, speaking of Christ, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice what John says here. We become a child of God. We are not born a child of God. We're born an image bearer. But we actually become a child of God through what? Through receiving Christ through believing in His name. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in drawing us to repentance and to faith, through which we then become a child of God. That's why we refer to it scripturally as being born again. You see, we're all born physically. But the Scripture says we need to experience a second birth. We need to be born again because at our physical birth, the Scripture says we are spiritually dead. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death. That's what we find in Romans 3 and in Romans 6. We are spiritually dead and separated from God. The only way we can be made alive is through a work of the Holy Spirit. It's through responding to that work through faith and repentance. Then God, the Scripture says, takes our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. And then we become alive. And then, he says, we become a child of God. And Paul is making this clear as well in verse 26 because he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Not this cultural notion that we're all just God's children. No, he says specifically it is through Christ that you are all sons of God. Notice that emphasis on all. This is to the Jew and to the Gentile. There's no distinction here. There's the opportunity for all to come to faith. Here he says, for all to become sons of God. Now, if you'll look at the Bible in front of you today, I'm sure we have multiple translations here this morning. Some of your translations don't say son of God. Some of your translations say children of God. Now, just a note about that. There are times in the Scripture when we're translating the Greek language where sons of God can be translated sons and daughters or children of God. That can be done through translation properly. There are other times specifically that when it says sons of God, it means sons of God and we should translate it sons of God. 
but there's kind of this cultural pressure at times to make those translations more politically correct. So it's more politically correct to say we are God's children than to say we are sons of God. Because after all, when we say sons of God, that seems to leave out a significant portion of the family of faith, doesn't it? But here's what you need to understand about this passage. There's a specific reason, I believe, that Paul writes sons of God and not children of God. You see, in the context, in ancient times when Paul was writing this, daughters had no legal right to an inheritance. It was only through the son that inheritance could be passed. If you were a female in this culture, you could not be the legal heir of your parents. Only the, the, the inheritance could only pass through the son. When Paul says here that in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, he's saying in Christ Jesus, you who are male and female, men and women, you are all sons of God in the sense that you are heirs of God. Paul is saying something revolutionary here. In a culture that really devalued females, gave them very few rights, Paul is lifting them up by saying sons of God and saying you too are a part of this inheritance. Now, there are times in the Scripture where God is clearly referring to both men and women here as sons of God, just as men. There are times in the Scripture where God refers to us as part of the bride of Christ. That the bride is not just the women in the family of faith. The bride is men and women. We are the bride of Christ. Men and women are sons of God in that we are heirs of God and we receive this inheritance. And that is a revolutionary thing in this context for Paul to be saying. They are heirs how? Through faith. Again, it's not through works of the law. It's not through works of the flesh. It's not through going back to the Old Testament covenant. It's through looking clearly at what it means to have faith in Christ. And in that faith, we receive this inheritance as sons. Paul makes it clear here that, that we who are in Christ, we have a new family. We've been adopted into God's family. So, so in Christ, we have a new family. Now, for some of you, you hear that and you think, well, I'm not sure how I feel about that because I, I, I don't have a problem with the family I have. You know, <laughs> I, I like my family. Others of you are saying, well, yeah, I'd love a new family. I, you know, we, we all have different family experiences when we talk about our biological family. So what's the issue here of being given a new family? Well, think about how Jesus talked about family. For example, you may recall in Matthew chapter 12, there's a situation where Jesus is there and he's preaching and he's teaching and his mother and his brothers come and request to have a conversation with him. Now, the context here is likely that Jesus' mother and brothers are a bit concerned about him. think he's probably a bit overzealous. They're not quite sure about all he's teaching. At this point, I don't think they have great faith that he is truly the Messiah, the Son of God. Or at a minimum, they have some concerns for his safety because there are crowds swarming around him. And so they're coming there to retrieve him, to pull him out of this situation. And notice what Matthew writes. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, while... He, Jesus, was still speaking to the people. Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told them, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now what is Jesus saying here? 
Jesus is saying that there's something significant that happens when you come into the family of faith. This is a new family you have. Notice he doesn't just stretch his hand out and say, now look around at all these people. Everybody's a child of God. These are all my brothers and my sisters and my mother. No, he specifically points out towards the disciples, those who had faith, and he says of them, this is who my family is. Now is Jesus there saying that your biological family is of no significance? I don't think that's what he's saying. Because consider what Jesus does on the cross. There in his suffering and his anguish, he looks down to Mary and he says to John, you are to take care of her. He has a care, a concern for his biological family. But what Jesus is saying here is that there is something significant, extremely significant about our family of faith, about our brothers and sisters in Christ, about this family that we have been brought into. See, what he is saying is this, point two in your outline there, is that in Christ we have a new identity. Well, we've been brought into this family of faith. These now are our brothers and our sisters in Christ. You and I, we are brothers and sisters in the faith. How does that work? Well, we have a new identity. And notice what he says in verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That, that phrase literally means in the Greek, they were clothing themselves in Christ. Just like this morning, I put on these clothes. I put on this jacket. I covered myself. I put these things on. Paul says that in Christ, through faith, we have put on Jesus Christ. We've been covered by Christ. Now think about the significance of covering in the Scripture. You go back to... Genesis chapter 3, you go back to the fall. You see in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates in the garden all perfection, all that Adam and Eve would need. He tells them they can eat of any tree except for this one. They rebel against him. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they do that, do you remember exactly what happens in that moment? The scripture says they were suddenly ashamed. And they realized they were uncovered. And so what do they seek to do? Well, they take some fig leaves and they cover themselves. They're ashamed. They feel guilty. And then the Scripture says that God's presence is coming in the garden and the fig leaves aren't sufficient, so they try to hide themselves among the trees because they're trying to hide from God. They are ashamed because of their sin and they're trying now to cover their sin. Think about how you and I respond when our sin is exposed. Think about how people respond when their sin is exposed. Think about how you respond when someone says to you, you did something wrong. Husbands, when your wife points out a fault in your life, is your first response to say, thank you, dear, for helping me to see my fault. Maybe a better illustration. Wives... And the 1% of the time when your husband is right and he points out your fault is your response to say, oh, thank you, dear husband, for showing me my fault. Could you tell me about another, please? <laughs> or how about this? We have this one in our house. Parents, maybe you've had this experience where you walk into a room and something is not as it should be. <laughs> Maybe there's popcorn all over the floor. Maybe the dishes that were supposed to be done aren't done. Maybe there's trash everywhere. Maybe something's broken. And so you, you line the kids up and you say, now who did this? 
And it's always the same person, isn't it? Not me. <laughs> Apparently not me lives in a lot of houses. Uh, my wife and I would love to meet not me. They're responsible for much in our house. It's always not me. Who, who teaches them that? Who, who teaches us that? Th that is the inclination of our flesh. To have shame and to have guilt and try to cover our sin and hide from our sin. I mean, think of it on a bigger scale. Think of it in the world we live in. Think of people of power and politics. Think of the lengths that people go to try to cover the wrong they have done. We see it all goes back to the garden. And in the garden, Adam and Eve trying to cover their sin, and that's not sufficient. So notice what God does in Genesis as soon as He confronts Adam and Eve in their sin, as soon as He gives them the consequence for their sin, He says this to them. Genesis 3.21 And the Lord made for Adam and Eve, or excuse me, made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now here's what God's not doing. God's not going, you know what? Those fig tree, those fig leaves, they're just not going to hold up real well. <laughs> you need a better garment. Maybe something out of leather or animal skin here. I, I could come up with something better. And what God is doing here is significant. In order to cover Adam and Eve's shame, a sacrifice had to be made. Blood had to be shed. And this is the model that you see going forward in the Old Testament. Man sins, and in response to his sin, he has to go to the temple and he has to offer a sacrifice in hopes that that blood will appease God and will cover his sin. And of course, God himself, who gives this model, says what? Ultimately, this doesn't take care of your sin, but it points towards a sacrifice that will. Move ahead to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross his blood is shed, and the Scripture says it is through that blood, ultimately, that our sin is covered. And so when Paul says here, you have put on Christ, he is saying something significant. He is saying that you and your efforts to cover your sin are going to fail every time, but God has a better way. And God will cover you. God will cover your shame. God will cover your guilt. God will cleanse you of it if you will put on Christ. If you will respond to the Gospel and be covered with Christ. He says that being clothed with Christ then means we have a new identity. See friends, our, our clothes say something about us. Our, our clothes help identify things about us i was listening to the radio this week and they were talking about a game coming up this weekend in lexington and they were telling everybody make sure you wear your blue and your white why because that, that's going to tell folks there something about you I, I have not had a conversation with many of you about what your favorite sports team is but i can tell you who your favorite sports team is because you clothe yourself in it you wear your blue and your white, you red, wear your red. I can tell by looking at what you have on what team you're aligned with. Your clothing says something about you. I can tell for some of you, if I run into you during the week, what you, where you work at because you're wearing a uniform. 
You've got a logo right here. You've got certain clothes on. Those clothes identify who you work for. Paul is saying here, we are to put on Christ in such a way that identifies our allegiance to Christ. Now here's what Paul's not saying. Paul's not saying, make sure you wear a shirt that's got a bunch of verses on it. (laughs) I'm not saying there's any problem with that. By all means, wear shirts with verses on them. But I don't think that's what he's saying here because you can wear a shirt with Bible verses on it and you can live like the devil. I was at a football game a couple years ago. I was noticing the person in front of me there was having trouble standing up, kind of stumbling side to side, and I noticed their shirt had all these great scriptures on them. It's a beautiful shirt. And about the time I was reading the second verse on there, I heard foul, foul, filth, and foul being spewed from this person's mouth as they stumbling drunk cursed out everybody around them, including me. I wanted to say, I'm just trying to read the Bible verses on your shirt. See, just putting on that that shirt with verses on it, that's not what Paul's saying here, because you can put on that shirt and there'll be no difference in your heart. Paul is saying here that when we put on Jesus Christ, when we are covered with Jesus Christ, we are identifying ourselves with Christ in that we are a new person. We have a new identity. He's saying that being clothed with Christ means we have new behaviors. Friends, your life should look radically different if you truly are in Christ. The fruit reveals the root. And if there is no identifiable difference in your life today than before you were a Christian, then friends, the scriptural evidence is you may not be a Christian. In fact, I would say you probably are not. You may think, well, Pastor, that sounds awful judgmental. Well, then you are hearing me correctly. It is. The scripture actually calls us as believers to judge one another. In our lack of reading Scripture in its context, we have pulled out these little snippets about judgment here and there. It says, well, judge not must mean you should never judge, and who are you to pass judgment? But when we read it in a context, we realize, no, we are to judge in the manner that we should be judged. We are to judge those in the body. What part do I have in judging the world? None. But we are to judge one another here. I'm not talking about passing judgment. I'm not talking about playing the role of God in one another's life. I'm saying we are to look to one another and we are to lovingly, graciously speak the truth in love. You are to do that for me, I'm to do that for you. The most unloving thing you can do, if you drive past 212 Fairfield Hill and I'm passed out drunk in the lawn, and I'm up there screaming at my kids and throwing stuff out the windows, the most unloving thing you can do would be to just drive past and say, well, I guess he's having a bad day. The Scripture says you get in my face. The Scripture says you call me out in my sin. And I would say in that case, you get me out of this pulpit. The Scripture calls us to lovingly, graciously, to judge one another. The fruit reveals the root. And if we look and we see no fruit, friend, then the most loving thing we can do is to say, brother, sister, I'm not so sure you're a brother or a sister. And to share the gospel. Listen to what the Word says about how these behaviors should look. Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. 
So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Do you see what Paul's saying there? We, we put on Jesus and we put off that old self. Ephesians 4, 22-24. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And, and to be renewed by the spirit of your minds, put on a new self created in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Friends, the consistent teaching of the Scripture is that if you are in Christ, there should be a difference in your life. And the Christian walk is not one of perfection. It's one of progress. Where daily we are putting sin to death. And daily we are putting off the old self. And daily we are putting on the new self. We realize that none of this stuff will save us, but it should happen as a result of our salvation. Our works don't produce our faith, but our faith should produce works. Again, as the great reformer Martin Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Genuine faith gives us a new identity. We are children of God. And friends, our actions, our behavior should reflect that. The fruit reveals the root. And so how then do we deal with sin? Because we're going to struggle. We're going to fail. We're going to fall down. There's going to be days where it's going to look a lot more like the old self than the new self. How do we respond to that? Well, that's where it is so crucial that we understand what it means to be clothed with Jesus Christ. We're not clothing ourselves with our own works righteousness. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so on your worst day, in your worst failure, if you are indeed in Christ, God sees you like He sees His Son. What Paul is saying here is significant that we can be sons of God because when God sees us, He sees His Son. It's what it means to be covered with Jesus Christ. We're covered with His righteousness, His perfection. That's what we put on. Not our own attempts, but our trust in Him. Again, Paul writes, verse 27 there, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He notes the significance here of baptism in this process. And friends, I hope this is clear. We've talked about this many times. But baptism does not save us. If I were to preach that, then I would be no better than the Judaizers. I'd be preaching to you a works righteousness because that would be a work. Baptism does not save us. But baptism is an act of obedience in response to our salvation. And in the New Testament, you don't find any category for unbaptized believer. 
in our kind of pendulum swing, I think, in the church today, away from those who would falsely teach that baptism saves. We've kind of come up to this other side where at times we, we minimize the importance of baptism. Oh, you haven't been baptized. Well, you can get around to that later on. No. No, the Scripture says it's an act of obedience that identifies us with Jesus Christ. We, we put on Christ through faith in Christ. Baptism is a picture. It is symbolic of what happens when we put on Christ. We, we are buried with Christ in baptism. We are raised to walk in a new life. We, we identify with the death and the burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. That the old Richard went under that water and a new Richard came out of that water. That that's the picture of baptism. And God has given it to us for a reason. It identifies us with Jesus Christ. Notice what else Paul says about this new identity. Verse 28. He says then there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. But, but you are one in Christ Jesus. Well, what is what's the Lord telling us here? Well, well, let me just take a moment to say what I don't think He's telling us. Now, this is a passage that has been plucked out of its context many times and used to preach what I would say is a very false gospel and false teaching. For example, what Paul is not saying here is that there's no longer any distinction whatsoever between us and the church. For example, he notes here that there's neither Jew nor Greek. He's not saying that the Greek then abandons all of those things in the culture that would have identified them as being Greek or the Jew abandons everything that would identify them as being Jewish any more than he's saying, well, in order to really be a part of the family, then, then Greek, you need to be like a Jew, and Jew, you need to be like a Greek. In fact, that's the very issue Paul's writing against, isn't it? The Judaizers were telling the Galatians, you need to be Jewish in order to be Christian. He's saying, no, he's, he's not saying those, those distinctions are important. Any more than he's saying that there's no distinction between men and women anymore. And in fact, there's a number of passages that very clearly talk about the distinction between men and women. The Scripture says before the fall, God created them male and female. There, there is distinction in, in, in a glorious way there in creation. And God creates distinctly men and women for His glory. But what our culture says is that we don't need any distinctions. In fact, we're at a point in our culture today that says that you can disregard gender entirely. That gender is fluid, meaning doesn't matter what your birth certificate says. You just pick that which you are most comfortable with. Why is that a problem? Or more importantly, is that what Paul is suggesting here? And I would say, no, it's not. Paul's not saying that distinction is not significant. We'll come back to that one in a second. And he's not saying that these roles are just interchangeable. What is it he's saying? Well, he says what he's saying there in verse 28. He's saying, you are all one in Christ Jesus. He is saying here what it means is that, that I am a Christian before I am anyone or anything else. That my Christianity is what is most significant about me. And not my cultural background, not my socioeconomic status, not my malehood or my femalehood. What he's saying is what's most important about me is that I've been found in Christ. And he's saying that is what it is that unites us. We are one in Christ. And Paul is dealing here with 
with all these barriers that are in the world, and he's showing how the gospel just breaks these barriers down. For example, we see very clearly in our world today there, there's a cultural barrier. That there are strong divisions that exist in our country and in many countries simply based on the color of your skin, the country you're from, the language you speak. There are strong cultural barriers. And that's not new. That there were cultural barriers in Galatia. That is why he's writing this letter. He's saying you're dealing with these barriers the wrong way. You need to deal with them in Christ. And so he here picks up on this cultural barrier. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek. He's saying that these cultural divisions don't have any place in the church of Jesus Christ. Practical application. You you are no more or less of a Christian today based on the country you are from or the language you speak. The Scripture says clearly that the most significant thing about you is that you are found in Jesus Christ. That we are in the family of faith together. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what language you speak. That is why, for those of you who've had the opportunity, whether you traveled abroad or had a person you met here, when you've met a believer who's from another part of the world, maybe they don't even speak the same language than you do, you have experienced with that person what it means to have family more so than you may have experienced with the people that you grew up with. But because you are united, you are one in Christ Jesus. I remember years ago, I was camping out in sub-Sahara Africa on a mission trip. I encountered a man who used to be a witch doctor. He had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now he was dying And I sat with that man and he couldn't understand me and I couldn't understand him. But through an interpreter, we had more genuine fellowship in our faith than I have ever had with some people who I am related to by blood. Because we're one in Jesus Christ. And so any notion that these cultural things should divide us is anti-gospel. Paul is saying clearly here that the gospel does away with these cultural barriers. Cultural distinctions, those are fine, but they should not divide us in the family of faith. He goes on to say that the gospel overcomes the class bearer. He says here there's neither slave nor free. Now again, in Paul's day, slavery would have been more of a situation that was done because of someone's indebtedness. They owed a lot of money. They could not pay that back. And so they would enslave themselves. They would become a servant of someone for a number of years in order to pay back that debt. And so slave or free here really has a lot to do with their socioeconomic status. Poor and of means. And notice again what Paul says here. He says that these class divisions have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, he says very clearly, the Lord says in James that we are to avoid these sins of partiality that we are inclined towards. So we shouldn't treat someone better because they have more. We shouldn't treat someone lesser because they have less. We are all one in Christ together. That's why in the church of Jesus Christ, you have this glorious picture where you can have someone with little to no education and little to no means discipling and teaching the CEO. 
I've had the opportunity to lead people to Christ who had far more money, who, who had far more of a, a standing in our culture than I have. I've been influenced by people who are much poorer than me, with less education than me. That the Church of Jesus Christ is not built on your resume and how smart you are, how powerful you are, how much money you have. It's built on those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says there's no room for those barriers. And then he deals with this gender barrier. He says there's no male and female, perhaps the strongest barrier in Paul's day. In Paul's day, women were considered absolutely inferior to men. And he deals with this barrier by showing how the gospel does. But I want to note again what I said earlier. Notice how the, cultural deal, the culture deals with the gender barrier. Our culture today is still dealing with this issue of men and women and this gender barrier. And notice how the culture does it. The culture does it by saying, well, there shouldn't be a barrier because there shouldn't be gender. The culture says it by saying that these things are fluid. Or on the other end, the culture does it by saying these things completely define you. You're defined by the gender you choose. You're defined by, by these inclinations you have. This is what defines you. And Paul here says, no, that's not what defines you. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that defines you. He's not saying that male and female distinction is not important. Again, God created male and female for His glory and for His good. But what he says here is that that distinction should not be divisive. What he's saying here is that we are created male and female for his glory and that we are one in Jesus Christ. Paul says clearly here we have a new family, we have a new identity, and then we end with this, point three. He says, in Christ we have a new future. Verse 29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Again, Paul comes full circle right back around to this issue. The Judaizers said, well, no, you're only Abraham's offspring if you follow the law of Moses. Paul says real clearly, no, you are Abraham's offspring if you trust in Christ Jesus. The, the most significant thing about you is not your DNA, it's not your family tree. It is, are you in Christ or not? The promises that God made to Abraham and his descendants are now good for all who will come to Christ through faith. There is not Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, white collar or blue collar, Democrat or Republican, or whatever other division you can come up with. We are one in Christ Jesus. And so he says then, we are heirs according to promise. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means we're out of time, and so we'll come to that next Lord's Day. Because that's exactly where he picks up at the beginning of chapter 4. And that's where we're going to spend our time as we continue in Galatians. But I want to leave you with this. This is what one commentator says about this passage. There is nothing more relevant or more practical than this new identity, new community, new inheritance. If we are Christ, then we have nothing to fear. Even in these uncertain times, because we know, quote, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke 12, 32. If we are Christ, then we ought to take heart and find strength to endure whatever it is that God has for us. Because we know that, quote, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. And friends, if we are 
Christ's, then we ought to walk by faith, living a truly countercultural life for the cause of Christ because we know that here we have no lasting city. Instead, we are, quote, looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Hebrews 11, verse 10. So what does all that mean? It means, friends, in this world you will have trouble and you will have trials and you will have suffering. But praise God, this world doesn't have the final word. And that He who placed His Son on that cross who unleashed His wrath on Jesus on the cross, He does that for His glory and for your good, that through faith and repentance, you might be an heir to the promise. And friends, that promise goes far beyond the world we are in today. It goes to a new heaven and a new earth. You may be struggling today because God has not answered your prayers in the way you thought He would answer them. You may be struggling with health issues and you have prayed, Lord, will you just heal me? Lord, I've got faith. Would you just heal me? It may be someone else you love and you've asked God to heal them and God hasn't healed them. And you may be thinking today, what's going on here, Lord? I have faith. I'm trusting you. Why won't you take this away? And God's Word says to us, He will forever. That day is not here yet. But oh, it will come. You may be struggling with broken relationship after broken relationship and the consequences and the carnage of sin in your life and in other people's lives. And you might look at that and say, Lord, why are you allowing this? God, why don't you just do away with all suffering and all pain and all sickness and all sin? And God's Word says, He indeed will one day in a new heaven and a new earth. We can have hope in that future that is to come if our hope is in Christ. But friend, if your hope is not in Christ, then you have no hope. This world is it. And that which comes after is greatly consequential. And so the call from God's Word today is to repent and to trust in you. The call from God's Word today is that today is indeed the day of salvation for you if you will respond to the gospel in faith. And so if you will stand as I pray for us, as we respond to God's word. Father God, we thank you for your word and for this reminder to us that our standing before you is not based on our performance. It is based on the promise that is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And Lord, on our worst day, on our day where we struggle where we fail, when we sin, if our faith is truly, genuinely in Jesus Christ, then Lord, You don't see that failure. You, you, you see Your Son. And Lord, not only that, but through the work of Your Spirit, you, you offer us the opportunity to grow so that every day we don't have to struggle with that same sin and that same failure. Know that we can trust in you and walk by faith. We can put off the old self and put on the new. And so, Lord, I pray today for anyone who is struggling in this way, who they keep going back to the old self, who they're not walking by faith. Lord, I pray that you would convict them and they would repent. I pray for others, Lord, who may be coming under conviction now that there's no tangible fruit in their life of the Christian life. 
And perhaps that means, Lord, they've never genuinely responded to the gospel. Oh, Lord, I beg you, I plead with you that through the power of your Spirit that you call them to repentance and faith today. And Lord, there may be others today who are they're just, they're just beat down. And they're struggling and they're worn out. And this world is just, just a heavy burden on them. Lord, would you help them to trust in you for the world that is to come. To see that this world and all the things of it are passing away, but you have gone to prepare a new place, a new heaven, a new earth. One day all these things will be no more. So Father, help us to trust in you and walk with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.